Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. This beautiful, beautiful summer morning, not too hot yet, uh, still early, not too hot. Welcome to those of you who are here for the first time, those of you who are from a distance, those of you who are, think they've stepped into the wrong place this morning. <laughs> like, what the heck am I doing here? Um, if this is your first time, uh, meditating, relax into it. If it's your first time in a kind of a more formal setting, just follow along. You don't have to get it right. You're not going to get it wrong anyway. So just follow along and be here. Unlike the folks who are away for the summer on Cape Cod or out on Long Island, we're here holding down the fort. And I hope they're not thinking about us. I hope they're having a good time, wherever they are. Koshin and I have, um, we've closed on Sundays this year uh, so that we can have some time day off. And we've been doing uh, tourist things. Last week we were at the Metropolitan Museum, so uh, the exhibit of Heavenly Bodies. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out. And tomorrow we're going to the Freedom Tower. Walk around, haven't, you know, haven't been there since 9-11, so uh, looking forward to that, being a tourist in our own city. I'd like to read this poem by Marie Howe. Many of you know Marie, she's been here a few times. Um, this is her most recent collection of poems. It's called Magdalene. And, uh, it's called The Seven Devils. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven devils had been cast out. The first was, I was very busy. The second, I was different from you. What happened to you could not happen to me. Not like that. The third, I worried. The fourth, envy disguised as compassion. The fifth was that I refused to consider the quality of the life of the aphid. The aphid disgusted me, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. The mosquito too, its face, and the ant, its bifurcated body. Okay, that was the first. The first was I was so busy. The second, that I might make the wrong choice. Because I had decided to take the plane that day, the flight before noon, so as to arrive early. And I shouldn't have wanted that. The third was that if I walked past the certain place on the street, the house would blow up. The fourth was that I made of guts, I made of guts and blood with a thin layer of skin 
lightly thrown all over the whole thing. The fifth was that the dead seemed more alive to me than the living. The sixth, if I touched my right arm, I had to touch my left arm. And if I touched my left arm a little harder than I touched my right arm, then I had to retouch the left arm. So again, it would be even. The seventh, I knew I was breathing, the expelled breath of everything that was alive, and I couldn't stand it. I wanted a sieve, a mask, a cheesecloth. To breathe through that would trap whatever was inside everyone else that entered in me when I breathed in. No, that was the first one. The second was that I was too busy, I had no time. How had this happened? How had our lives gotten to this? The third was that I couldn't eat food I saw. I couldn't eat food if I saw it distinct, separate from me, in a bowl or on a plate. Okay. The first was that I could never get to the end of the list. Stop there. There is more. Maybe we'll finish. A little heavy for a Saturday morning. Mary Magdalene, Seven Devils. A nice segue into my friend Zen Master Raven. This one, Mara is prodding. I hopefully you'll see the way this all kind of comes together as I ramble on. This exchange comes after one, the one prior to this, uh, Mara, I'm sorry, um, Badger and Raven are talk, having another discussion about compassion. So this, so this one starts with, after this exchange about compassion, Badger said, well, I got my comeuppance on that one. I have another question, though. Well, not really a question, more a confession. It's the one that's been on my mind for some time. I've sat with you all this time and not realized very much at all. I wake up in the night feeling guilty that I haven't made more of an effort. You devote yourself to us. I feel that I failed you. Raven said, Mara is prodding you. Badger said, it hurts. Raven said, it's the only way he knows. So most Buddhists know the story of Mara. Everybody know the story of Mara? No. No? Okay. I'll tell you. So Mara is the, the tempter, the demon, that came to Shakyamuni, the soon Buddha-to-be, shortly before he was enlightened, the night before. So he's sitting under the Bodhi tree, almost starved to death. And Mara comes along, and it's like, why don't you just eat something? You know, I'll bring you some cookies, bring you <laughs> some milk, you know, Oreo, whatever you need. You know, eat something. You know. 
Maybe, maybe Mara at that time was like a nice Jewish grandmother. You should, you should eat. You're starving, look at you. The Buddha sat there, unmoving. The next thing, the next time he came along, he's like, you know what? You should be ashamed of yourself. You left your wife, your son, everything that you hold dear, everyone that holds you dearly, you just left them and went on this walkabout. What are you doing? The Buddha sat there. So Mara, with his demons, kept repeating and repeating, coming back, coming back, trying everything to get the Buddha to move from his place, to renounce all that he believed in. The last of Mara's tricks was to send his daughters to Shakyamuni. So the daughters come in. Some, in some stories there's three, in some stories, some stories there's five, uh, all representing different So they're cavorting around, dancing, and doing whatever they're doing in front of him, and he's not moving. Mara was so incredibly, incredibly upset, so furious, that nothing could shake the Buddha's confidence in what he was doing. He got so rageful, he said, everything he could think of to really hurt the Buddha. To really, really degrade him, to bring him down, to move him from his place. It was all in vain, even those beautiful dancing daughters of his. Mara knew he was wasting his time when the Buddha placed his hand on the ground in response to the last of the, the, de the demons and said, as he placed his hand on the ground, he said, the earth is my witness. As the earth trembled, Mara knew He'd been beaten. Mara said, who is going to witness you in your goodness, your purity, your compassion? No one's going to notice. Nobody cares who you are. And the Buddha placed his hand on the ground. And at that moment, the earth trembled. The Buddha said, the earth is my witness. And there's a whole nother, longer verse to that. Basically, I'm right here. I will not be shaken. I won't be moved. There are stories, many stories of Mara returning again and again, even after the Buddha, Shakyamuni, the Buddha, had reached his enlightenment. And there are lots of little stories where 
he would invite Mara in for tea. Mara would come along and start shaking her after whatever. And the Buddha would simply say, come on in, sit down, let's have some tea. A bagel on a shmia. Let's just relax. And he would simply sit there. And Mara would leave. When Mara comes along, prodding, poking at us, at our fears, our insecurities, instead of getting caught up in them, believing our thoughts to be true, we could try inviting Mara in. Sounds easy, I know. There's a poem by Rumi, The Guest House, using the, the body as the metaphor, inviting in all these unwelcome visitors. Depression, anger, resentment, whatever um, those momentary, uh, momentary or long-lasting <coughs> fears, insecurities are, to come in, sit down. Make a friend of them. It's not easy. Last night, at our, we have a new group that started a couple of months ago, Wisdom Sangha. And it's for those of us who are 65 and over. And we're looking at our aging through the lens of our teachings in the Dharma, our Dharma teachings. And the reality of old age, illness, and death, and how our bodies are changing, how our communities have changed, they've diminished, or they've grown, the importance of community, looking at our losses, the things we've gained, the things that we'll never have again, So it's a really nice little community that's forming. And, uh, I'm glad it's happening for us here. And I was talking about, for myself, talking uh, last night about um, just reaching 65 a couple of weeks ago and celebration. And we had a great big party here. And you know, it's this kind of sense of pride that I've reached this age. And I was very you know, looking forward to my Metro card, my half-price Metro card, and the discount at 20% or wherever it is at Christidia's in the theater. And <laughs> I'm full of, you know, piss and vinegar and hubris about this. And then one morning last week, Mara came knocking on the bedroom door. And I woke up, and he's sitting right there at the end of the bed. And Mara said, well, you fucked your life up, didn't you? Right? Here you are, 65, no 401k, no savings. You're one step away, one red check away from the sidewalk, like many New Yorkers. 
What are you going to do? I was like this. I'm going to stay under the covers. I want to get out of bed. I made such a mess of my life. Right? It's true. It's true. I spent many years, many years pushing Mara away with drugs and alcohol and bad behaviors, not thinking about getting to 65. And here I am. And then it's like, you know what? What I need to do is just get out of bed. I just got to pull the covers off, step out onto the floor. And just that simple action will interrupt, interrupts my thought process. So when we're sitting on the cushion using our breath, you know, we get distracted, we're off listening to whomever or we're planning whatever, come back to the breath. It's not magic, it's not a miracle, it's just interrupting those thoughts. It's bringing us back to this moment. That getting out of bed for a moment gave me some peace, some quiet in the mind. And then as I moved through the day, yeah, you know what, yeah, I did do that. I did do all those things. I had a great time doing all those things, <laughs> spending all that money, doing all those drugs. And do I regret it? For the most part, no. Um, but it changed my relationship to, to Mara and myself in, that, in, this, in this moment, in that moment. It's like, come on, give me a break. Here I am at 65, I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy what's left. I'm going to do that. You know, and I've been gluten-free for a while. I went to H&H &H Bagels, got a nice big poppy seed bagel with a schmear and locks. I was like, you know what? Goodbye, Mara. <laughs> Taking care of myself today. Right? And of course, comes back and back and back and back, moment by moment sometimes. When I was speaking with someone earlier, you know, it's like, He's never far away. He's always kind of lurking, on, for me, lurking on my shoulder, waiting to whisper in my ear. It would be so much better. You know, even after all these years, all these three decades of sobriety, it would be so much better if you went out. You wouldn't have to worry about anything. Right? That's a strong one. That's a big mark. And he gets really pissed off if I uh, pick up a book. Doesn't like it. Rumi said, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, 
treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. Right? So if I'm getting stuck in my stinking thinking, if I'm going to want to, if I'm staying in this dark place under the covers, right? There's no movement. There's no possibility of this room, this clearing of something new to come in. So maybe a different way of being in the day. Right? Just thinking of someone else other than myself. Right? The dark thought, the shame, the malice, Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And even in those moments, in those teachings that we really don't want, that we really feel this person, this situation, why is this happening to me? I was speaking last night also about um, those things that we can often see as a negative can be the finest teachings for us when we turn the lens slightly. Wow, what am I here to learn from this? Yeah, it's not great, but can I see it as a teaching opportunity? When I go into Dokusan and I'm, my chest's all puffed up and got this column down. Been working on this one for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I hate Chodo, but I'm gonna get it today. <laughs> go in, you come in, you present your koan. Ding -a -ling -a -ling -a -ling -a -ling. And suddenly there's my You're useless. Why are you doing these koans? What do they mean? They don't make any sense. Yeah. Why don't you just quit this altogether? Yeah. Chodo doesn't know what he's talking about anyway. Right? My understanding is better than his. Because I did this koan with my past teacher 20 years ago and I passed it. Alright. Or... Okay, Mara, that was 20 years ago. That was yesterday. This is a different moment. What's the teaching here? The second what I, was that I was so busy, I had no time. How had this happened? How had our lives gotten like this? The third was that I couldn't eat food if I really saw it, distinct, separate from me in a bowl or on a plate. Think about that. Think about that metaphor right there. 
I couldn't eat food if I really saw it distinct, separate from me in a bowl or on a plate. Okay. The first was that I could never get to the end of the list. The second was that the laundry was never finally done. The third was that no one knew me, although they thought they did. And that if people thought of me as little as I thought of them, then was that love? The fourth was, I didn't belong to anyone. I wouldn't allow myself to belong to anyone. The fifth was, I know none of us could ever know what we didn't know. The sixth was that I projected onto others what I myself was feeling. The seventh was the way my mother looked when she was dying. The sound she made, her mouth wrenched to the right and cupped open so as to take in as much air. The gurgling sound so loud we had to speak louder to hear each other over it. <coughs> For months, I dreamt of knuckle bones and roots, the slabs of the sidewalks pushed up like crooked teeth by what grew underneath. The underneath, that was the first devil. It was always with me. And that I didn't think you, and, if that, and that I didn't think you, if I told you, would understand any of this. The underneath, that was the first devil. It was always with me. And that I didn't think you, if I told you, would understand any of this. Mara is always with us. And when I think that I'm the only one that's experiencing this, that I'm the only one that's going through this, nobody knows the troubles I've seen, you know? That's Mara, sitting right there at my shoulder. Nobody understands you. Nobody even cares, actually. So why don't we just go off together into the dark place? It's not so much fun in that dark place anymore. Once you swing open those doors to the guest house and invite everything in, the 10,000 things, the myriad things, inviting everything in, pushing away nothing, but experiencing. Sometimes not so pleasant. But what choice do we really have if we want to grow? What choice do we really have if we want to wake up? And it's not waking up to the stuff that we like and not to the stuff we don't like. 
It's waking up to it all. I woke up with Cranky Mara today <laughs> for a change. I got here and nothing was right. And Mara was assuring me that nothing was right. This was in the wrong place, that was in the wrong place, this person was doing the wrong thing, that person was doing this, this person was doing that. It was all like And what's amazing is I get so much energy from that. I get so much, I get so energized. Because Mara's like pushing me along, pushing me along further into crankiness and anger. <coughs> yeah. It's a really powerful fuel for me, anger. And it's not pleasant one. It's not the best fuel. It's not five star or high. What is it in America? Five star? Does it start by stars? Yeah. It's not high grade. It's that real low grade diesel. Sludgy. And then I get to, I get a moment. I get to take a breath, sit down. What's really going on, Chodo? What has Mara hooked into? Before you even opened your eyes this morning, what gate did Mara step into? Sitting there, just waiting. Right Birds singing. Who needs that? So. Mara, 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 Mara. What's the Jewish version of Mara? Yetzahara. 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 What's that like? The devil. Evil inclination. Evil inclination. I like that. Evil inclinations. Nice. Yetzahara. All right. That sounds more Yiddish. You, you do Yiddish. <laughs> I do Yiddish like nobody. <laughs> so here, <laughs> again, Zen Master Raven, Mara is prodding. After this exchange about compassion, Badger said, well, I got my comeuppance on that one. I have another question. Not really a question, more a confession. It's the one that's been on my mind for some time. I've sat with you all this time and not realized very much at all. I wake up in the night feeling guilty that I haven't made more of an effort. You devote yourself to us and I feel that I've failed you. Raven said, Mara is prodding you. Badger said, it hurts. Raven said, it's the only way he knows. It's the only way he knows how to get you to wake up. He wants to keep you in delusion. He's waking you up.
Say hi to Mara. <laughs>